Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, today marks the 16th and the final week of our in-depth study into the book of Daniel. This was a journey which started in January, running the first 10 weeks of the year before before we decided to take a short break. Then we came back to Daniel when the summer began. And just to kind of recap quickly, Daniel is a very unique book in the Bible. There really isn't another book like it, certainly not in the Old Testament. The first six chapters are narratives that contain stories about Daniel and his friends and his time in Babylon. Uh, there's a lot of practical application in that half of the book. It's one of the reasons why when someone says, hey, we're doing a study in Daniel, they really only mean the first six chapters because once you get to chapter seven, everything changes. So from chapter seven to chapter 12, you get knee deep and then some in apocalyptic prophecy. It is nearly impossible to read this portion of Daniel and not think of Revelation. Uh, the two books are very similar in their imagery. Um, Daniel seven contains the first vision of the end and the first real solid look at Jesus in the Old Testament who defeats the terrifying beast that are in that vision. Daniel chapter 8 contains a vision that involves the Jewish people who are suffering and then become victorious over an enemy named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. That happens in the second century BC. That's a really important name because he resurfaces in different places throughout the last half of Daniel. Chapter 9 finds Daniel preparing his heart to go before the Lord in prayer, asking for the return of the Jewish people from exile to the land of Israel. And it ends with the very famous prophecy of the 77s. And then once you get to chapter 10, you'll really come to the fourth and final vision Daniel has. So Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12 form a single unit with chapter 10 giving us a look at how Daniel receives the vision. 11 contains the accurate and specific contents of the vision. And then chapter 12, where we're going to be at today, provides the first true glimpse into eternal resurrection and judgment in the Old Testament. It's also the shortest chapter in the book of Daniel, and it begins by drawing a close to the contents found in the vision in chapter 11. Check this out. Daniel 12, 1 through 2 goes like this. At that time, time here being a reference to the end, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise, and there'll be a time of great anguish, greater than any since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose names are written in the book of life, or, I'm sorry, in the book, that's a reference to the book of life in Revelation, they're going to be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Here's verse number three. Those 
those who are wise will shine as bright as the, as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, you keep this prophecy a secret. Keep up, uh, seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. So let's pause for a moment and sort of work through these verses. The indications that we're talking about the end of history itself are found in two key places. One is a reference to a time of anguish greater than any since the nations first came into existence. Look, as bad as the suffering in Israel was under Antiochus IV in the second century BC, it was nothing worse than what the Egyptians and Babylonians had done before. So it's almost certainly a clue pointing to the distant future and the end, uh, but so is the second clue, which is the reference to resurrection. Now this is the clearest teaching on eternal resurrection in the Old Testament, and it presents a very important key truth for us to remember today. Everyone, I mean everyone, Everyone's going to face judgment. Hebrews 9.27 confirms what we see in Daniel, and that tells us very plainly that it's appointed for each person to die once and face judgment. Jesus himself speaks about judgment that we face. In John, look at John uh, chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. He says, Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they'll rise again. And those who have done good... Good here in the New Testament is often a reference to godly living, not, not the general act of being good. So those who've done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who've continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. You know, it, it may look like, both in Daniel's day and in our day too, that evil gets the upper hand, but ultimately everyone will face judgment, and justice will be administered by a just God. Where we get confused by, you know, is, is by a combination of poor teaching and I think sheer wishful thinking is the idea that justice has to be done in our lifetimes. Like if God doesn't dispense justice here and now, well, he must not be God. Like what good is he? Wrongs demand to be righted now. But that's not how God operates. See, justice may come in your lifetime, but it may not. And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that God isn't just. It just means that he's reserving justice for a later date. And whether that's a later date here in this present reality or it's eternity, either way, you know, it's, it's going to come. When we get to eternity, justice is finally administered, and it's not temporary like it would be here on earth. It's forever. So Daniel 12 takes the idea of resurrection and judgment to much further lengths than any other place in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 2 is going to give us a, a look at two trees, for instance, here in the Garden of Eden. One brings life, one brings judgment or death. When Adam and Eve eat from that wrong tree, they're judged by God and they have to die. But it doesn't happen right away. They still enjoy a relationship with God before their time comes to an end. No one in the Old Testament era really knew what happened when you died, so they just, they just knew the wicked and godly both would live lives that in the end led to death. There, there, there's an Old Testament word you'll see a lot, especially in the Psalms, and it's called Sheol. And that's a reference to the grave. Now, we're not really sure what its full meaning is, but we know it's, it's not positive, it's not really negative either. Uh, all anyone really knew was that life ended, and the thought was, well, so did your walk with God at that point. Psalm 6, 5 says this, For the dead do not remember you, talking to God here, who can praise you from the grave. 
Now, to be fair, other Psalms like 16 and Psalm 49, they, they do point to an existence beyond the grave, but nobody really knew for sure. And so there wasn't as much emphasis placed on eternity in the sense of an afterlife in the Old Testament as you find in the New Testament. Now, the other references to resurrection in the Old Testament, Hosea 6, Ezekiel 37, Isaiah 26, they all point to a national restoration of Israel. It's not really speaking to individual people rising and facing judgment like Daniel 12 and the New Testament teach. Now, does that mean eternity and specifically the notion of resurrection is something unique just to the New Testament? Well, the answer is no, and I would say uh, it's something that over time became more and more developed. Something you see in Scripture is that many biblical concepts kind of start off as little seeds in Genesis that progressively develop more fully as God reveals more and more about Himself to His people. And that's why you need all of Scripture. You can't just select certain books and passages. You need to know Genesis from Revelation. you got to know the whole scope. So verse number two of our passage makes it pretty clear that all of us are going to face God as our judge. There's going to be a division too. Those who serve the Lord find their eternal home in God's kingdom. We know from Christ's teaching and the New Testament teaching that those who die in their sins apart from Christ, they face what Daniel calls everlasting shame and disgrace. There's a separation from God that takes place for them. Now, I don't want to ignore verse number four before we move on either, because when you read what Daniel is supposed to keep this prophecy as, you know, a, a secret, it kind of raises red flags, right? Like, like, why a secret? If it's all legit, if it's all so real, why is Daniel being told not to tell anybody about it? Well, it's actually not what he's being told by the angel. I mean, we read this verse and we think on the surface, oh, that's a little shady, keep it secret. Okay, how do we trust it? But when we're interpreting apocalyptic prophecy, we need to stay in our lanes. And one of those lanes is understand context, right? So we don't really see, uh, seal things anymore in our world. Uh, but in Daniel's day, you would seal all kinds of important documents and messages. In the ancient Middle East, uh, official documents had, had two copies at least. One was the original, meant to be kept privately. The other was for public consumption, okay? It could be copied as many times as possible. You would seal the original document with your insignia, or the scribe's insignia. And it meant that this original text could not be tampered with or changed in any way, and neither could the copies either. And the original was restored in a place where it could then be preserved. So, so what you have in your Bible, I mean, that's what Daniel had too. It's, it's, all, it's all right there in your hands. Let's look at verse 5. Then I and Daniel looked and saw two others standing on the opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen, uh, how, who was standing by the river, how long until these shocking events are over? And the man dressed in linen, who was standing over by the river, <laughs> he raised both his hands towards heaven, and he took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, it will go on for a time, times, and half a time, when the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, and all these things will have happened. So we're back at the Tigris River where Daniel was at the start of the chapter, all right, in chapter 10. A second angel appears, and Daniel gets to overhear the conversation a little bit. That phrase, shocking events, is probably in reference to verses 36 and 45 from chapter 11. That's the portion in Daniel 11 that's really difficult to interpret. The answer given is the same phrase we saw in, in, in 725, times, time, and half a time. 
The intent is still the same, not to be precise per se, but to show there's a definite period in the future where evil stopped once and for all, and God demonstrates his power, and he reigns forever. Look at verse number eight. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? And he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by the trials. Boy, does that make you think of like James 1, right? James 1 tells us that suffering produces perseverance and it grows and develops us. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Verse number 11, from the time the daily sacrifices stop, and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped. There'll be 1,290 days, and blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of your days, you'll rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. So Daniel, much like ourselves, he wants to know more <laughs> in verse 8. And he's, he's told to basically, you know, hey, he said, hey, go now or go your own way, as the original language reads. So in other words, uh, the, the prophecies in Revelation, it's all been decided. It's going to happen. So Daniel, go live your life, which I think is really good advice, right? Uh, it's easy to get bogged down and obsessive with this kind of stuff. And the angel tells Daniel, go on with your life. Verse number 10, we do get a little bit more out of the angel. He, he talks about the wicked. They're not going to understand what's happening. Partly it's because those apart from Christ lack the understanding of God's overall purpose, which, which makes sense, right? But also partly because as these future end times events unfold, they're not going to know what's going on. They haven't read God's word. They haven't been taught to look for the signs of the end. So they're going to be in the dark. But those who are in Christ, who follow the Lord, that's who the wise are in the passage, they will recognize what's happening. We get one more reference too. Um, to the stopping of the daily sacrifices and another reference to what amounts to a period of roughly three and a half years. And I'll take one more opportunity just to remind us that those dates may be specific. They could be, but that's not the point. The point is to tell Daniel and his readers, God has a definite end date that has been firmly decided. And then the angel reminds Daniel, go your way until the end. Leave it alone and live your life, Daniel, and you're going to receive your eternal reward, is what he, he seems to say. So it's a fitting into the book. And Daniel may have lived a life where he suffered, but God has given him a glimpse into eternity, and he will set things right, and he will give Daniel his eternal reward. And that really leads me to the final takeaway for us from Daniel chapter 12. All of us are going to face judgment, but only the godly have hope. So much has been said about the existence of hell over the years, and many want to reject the idea of a literal hell and that it exists. Now, for the record, I believe hell does exist. I think Scripture is pretty clear. There's a space reserved for eternal judgment and separation from God. And while different passages seem to give different ideas of what hell is like, what ultimately makes hell so terrifying and really empty is knowing that you will forever be separated from God. At that point, whether you believed in God or not before, you now have clear knowledge of a creator who's pronounced judgment on your life, and he has separated you from himself forever. Like, that's hell enough. But for believers, 
This world's the closest thing to hell that you get to. It doesn't take much, right, to see the immense amount of suffering with war and disease and famine and poverty and abuse and immorality. Like the present reality for those who follow Christ, it's difficult. In other parts of the world, the present reality for Christians is downright horrifying. Imprisonment, work camp, slavery, execution. Suffering is everywhere in this life. So what keeps somebody who's in a work camp for their faith or enslaved for their faith, what keeps them going? It's hope. The knowledge that Jesus suffered, Paul suffered, the apostles suffered, Daniel suffered, but this life isn't all there is. There exists an eternal hope. Paul captures it best in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We're not all gonna die. But we'll all be transformed. It's going to happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have you know, died and uh, will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Look at verse 54. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And here he's going to quote from Isaiah 25, 8 and Hosea 13, 14. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your, your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This hope isn't based on wishful thinking or naive perspectives. It's based on faith. It's based on the past reality seen in the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, which gives us hope for the future. And that hope allows us to have confidence in the midst of a troubling present. Though followers of Christ suffer worldwide now, we can still live our lives with joy to the fullest, knowing in spite of difficulties and struggles, something better is coming. Better days are ahead. The best really is yet to come. The message in the last half of Daniel, and I would argue Revelation, is not simply wait for the future, but rather it's the angel's own words to Daniel from verse 13. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. In other words, you will have hope. Let me pray for you. God, I love you. I thank you for every person who's watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray for those who are listening and perhaps are saying, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't have this hope and I want it. In fact, if that's you right now and you're saying, I, I want this hope in my life, I want you to say this prayer in your own words. I want you to say this prayer kind of like this. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Cleanse me from, 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 from the sin that I've committed. I know I've violated your standards. I know that I've gone against you, and, and I need you to save me. Will you forgive me? Will you give me a brand new start? And God, from this day forward, I'm committing myself to following you. Jesus, you call the shots. You lead me. You direct me. You guide me. I've done things my own way. It hadn't worked out well. So from today forward, I want to live for you. Be my Lord and my Savior. If you said that prayer, then you're in the kingdom of God and you can have that hope today. 
Uh, God, for the rest of us, will you remind us that we have hope in you. Though we may suffer in this world, though we may go through struggle, though other believers around the world right now are, are in, in intense suffering, unimaginable pain, there is hope. There's hope. Because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow, man. Because he lives, he's overcome the world. We have a hope we can look forward to. This world's not our home. There is an eternal hope that lays ahead for us. And there is a reward that is ahead for us as well. And I thank you, Father, that no matter what we experience on this life, we know better days are ahead. Eternity with you. Life of freedom in your kingdom forever is in our future. And for that, we say thank you, and we look forward to living in this hope with you for eternity. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if Randy... Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, if you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.